Providing insight into healthcare from a multidisciplinary approach, this is the Fostering Wellness Podcast. I'm registered massage therapist Matt Wells, a rehab professional, joined by my co-host, Joel Foster, a psychotherapist and mental health professional. Let's get better together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Fostering Wellness Podcast. You're joined by me, your host, Joel, and your other host, Matt. Aloha. And um, today we're going to do a little bit of chatting about fear, your deepest, darkest fears. We're going to talk about our deepest, darkest fears. No, maybe not. But uh, we'll see where it goes. Um, But uh, how have you been, Matt? How's, uh, How's life been for you? Uh, life's been great, man. I think I've barbecued every day this past week. Oh, I mean, the weather's yes. been great. Um, yeah, no, it's it's nice to see like the weather coming around. I, I have my vaccine first uh, dose booked this coming Friday. I've been meaning to book mine. Yeah, yeah. You, that's a good reminder for me to book mine because I, I can get in. Yeah, hopefully and, soon. Uh, just as a warning for anybody who's uh, not as much of a dumbass as I am, I, uh, <laughs> when I went to go book it, I realized my MCP card was expired. Oh. <laughs> um, so I, I got that. Nice. So I renewed mine and then I booked my Perfect. Now it's renewed for the yeah. next 20 years, I assume. Oh, man. I, uh, I'm super pumped to be back on the MCP train. Yeah, MCP. Uh, <laughs> kind of important. Yeah. Um, but other than that, uh, no, things have been going well. Like uh, my uh, my like training in the gym is going like phenomenally well, and I'm hoping that there's going to be a competition maybe next year. Ooh. Hopefully, yeah. um, sponsoring once that vaccine kicks in. Right? Yeah, exactly. Once we get you know herd immunity, yeah. it'll be uh, real nice. But um, no, I'm and uh, the next few months I'm going to be sponsoring a strongman event here in uh, in St. John's, so that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, also, Mother's Day is coming up. So, it is. Uh, yeah, we might have to. I just thought about that. We might have to take a hiatus next week. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah no. And if we do, shout out to mothers. Shout out to moms. Yeah. How about you, Joel? How's your week? Good. Good. Um, my, you know what? I've been, I've been listening to that Gojira album. Remember we were talking about that coming out? Oh yeah, it just dropped. Yeah, it just, I actually went and picked it up off the shelf as Buddy was putting it up on the shelf. He was like, I literally just put that up. I was like, good, ring it up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's really good. Yeah. And um, there was one song, and it's interesting because I was, you know, there's one song, The Chant, if, yeah. if you heard that. Did yeah, you watch me, uh, I didn't watch the music video, oh, but I saw that it got released. You should watch the music video, and I would recommend to anybody to watch the music video. Okay. It's a pretty good song. I think, like, most people just interested in music would enjoy it. Like, it's, pre- it's pretty... Yeah. Right? It's not, like, in-your-face, like, death metal. Like, no, exactly. Yeah. No, definitely, no, it's not. No. Um, but it got me thinking, you know, about, you know, we were talking about, you know, fear, mm-hmm. and... You know, a bit of a spoiler, the music video is about the, well, I'll call it the Tibetan genocide, because that's, you know, what it is, the China's uh, invasion of, of Tibet, um, occupation, right. I should say. Um, and so it got me thinking about what other people go through in the world. And, you know, I had a discussion with one of our buddies, actually, uh, Ryan. Uh, about you know the difference between taking all of that on and just being aware of it mm-hmm. you know and I said to him I was like you know what I, I talk about well, well like we were talking earlier about the difference between self-care and community care and we'll talk a little bit more about that right uh, you know how much do I focus on myself and the immediate people around me and how far out does that reach how far should my care reach mm-hmm. Um, you know, volunteering, stuff like that. Like you, you going out and picking up trash, right? And, yeah. And so like we were talking about last episode. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, um, advocacy and stuff like that. Anyway, it, it got me, uh, somewhat emotional, uh, thinking about, you know, the stuff that happens on, in other parts of the world. Right. So, uh, Long story short, I've mostly been thinking about that and rocking out to the new Gojira album. 
that's a good combination. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we're getting a lot done at the apartment, too. So that's nice. That's coming together. Yeah. Because um, you're renovating your uh, your apartment to rent a apartment. Yeah, yeah, hopefully we'll have that up soon. Wicked. Um, in case anybody's looking for a place. Shoot us an email if you want to rent out Joel's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no free uh, sessions, though, um, for neighbors. No, no. Not that generous. Not that generous. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, anyway, Matt, I know you were really excited about this episode, so uh, how about you kick us off and, and take us down Fear Lane? Uh, well, I'll take you down that for sure. Um, <laughs> so basically as a bit of a background as to why exactly we chose this, um, this episode, after last episode clued up, uh, me and Joel were chatting, and uh, I think it was the first thing he said was, you want to do something controversial next ah, week? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was feeling spicy. <laughs> and uh, I've I've kind of been waiting for him to say that. Because <laughs> one of the main reasons I, uh, I wanted to do this podcast with Joel is because um, uh, there's like... I see a lot of misinformation out there. We're like living in the age of misinformation mm-hmm. and... Um, it it can be really overwhelming, not just for anyone who is in pain or someone who is suffering or looking for care, but also for uh, practitioners, uh, people who practice in healthcare. Not even just new grads, but people who've been in the game for a long period of time. Because there's always this stream of information coming out. There's always research getting done, and learning how to tease apart, um, you know, quality studies and uh, you know, quality information from not so much stuff or even outdated stuff is uh, is difficult for anybody honestly you can be doing this for years and and still have a hard time reading research which i think is pretty normal yeah. um there's a lot of scientific jargon in papers and then even appealing to the appropriate authority uh, appropriate authority can be really tough at times because you're not sure if the people who are in charge now have been keeping up on recent research yeah right and so what all that has culminated to, or at least one of the things it's culminated to, are practices being run out of this old school fear-based mentality. So I think I talked about this a bit before, but it's like you go on YouTube and you type in lower back pain. And probably the first like dozen or so search results that'll come up are thumbnails saying, don't do this, do this. You're going to snap your stuff up if you don't do this. You need to do these three exercises to perfect your your back and keep it healthy. Don't move it. Stay safe. Yeah. And it's this, uh, it's this cultivation of fear that is promoting buy-in. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the best way to go about things. Mm-hmm. I was sent a, uh, a video somewhat mm-hmm. recently of, you know, it was just a... a on the surface, it was a funny video. Yeah. Right? It was somebody uh, explaining the mechanics, the proposed mechanics of how disc herniations happen in the lower back. And they had this some like this person in a uh, little like plastic cage punching out holes in like the the plastic wrap to yes, symbolize. You showing me. Yeah, yeah it, it was symbolizing um, herniations popping out of your back, left, right, and center. And uh, it was... Uh, the sound effects on it were like the old Bruce Lee like punching sound effects. Where it was like <laughs> psh, psh, just super over the top, um, big red markers over the areas where the herniations are coming out, saying "Don't do this. You can't do this. You gotta fix yourself up. You gotta control this and breathe this because you're gonna injure yourself if you don't." And on the surface, you know, it it does seem funny because it's so over the top, but teasing that apart a little bit, you know, people are already afraid of their, you know back in general. And I'm not going to stick on back too much for this episode because I talk about it a lot, but um, it is something I'm passionate about. So it's why I can keep referring to it. But um, having these like punching sound effects and this person like metaphorically trapped inside of your spine trying to get out or something (laughs) inside of your back trying to explode out um, without taking into account all the other factors like uh, tissue surrounding the back, like uh, the ability of the spine itself to adapt to stress. Um, and, and talking about how common these findings are in populations where they don't have pain and then figuring out how resilient humans are based off research on strength conditioning and all these other things. Like there's a whole host of things that should be included beyond just a minute and a half video of somebody exploding your back and telling you (laughs) not to do these things. (laughs) But, you know, that's a specific example and... 
one of the most common things I see, and this is a perfect example of fear-based um, you know, practices when there's really no need to fear things is posture. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where I'm going to veer away from the back a little bit and still stick around the spine, but you know, a bit further up. Yeah. Yeah. So Joel, I didn't ask you before because I was waiting for this, but what do you know about posture? Um, (laughs) What have you been told? What I've been told is to sit up straight. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it now. Yep. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Back. Pretty much pressed back against the chair, spine elongated. And neutral, probably. Yes, keep your head, top of your head up straight. Mm. Now, don't I look proper? (laughs) (laughs) So that's the thing. It looks really good. Yes. Right? But is it good? Mm. Right? Well, I assume it is. You would assume it would be. (laughs) And you know what? It's not that long ago I would assume the same thing. Yeah. And so that mentality there was that's based on really old thought patterns of everything needs to stay in alignment any perturbation out of alignment or that whatever we call the neutral zone if we can even really define that across a broad spectrum of every human that has ever lived um it it doesn't really pan out when we look at how people function so let's tease that apart a little bit so you mentioned that you've probably heard that you need to stack your head on top of your spine in neutral over your center of gravity, stay super upright, shoulders back, yep. uh, chin probably down and looking at your computer screen completely <laughs> dead neutral, right? And yep. you probably have heard of orthopedic assessments where they fit your like uh, your chair up so that it, like, it falls along your neutral spine and then your, uh, your monitor is set up exactly right in front of you, your... Uh, mouse and keyboard are optimized so that you don't need to go out of alignment all that all that much and you're just staying in a completely boxed in neutral posture yeah um so one of the reasons why people choose to go that route or why things have been done that way in the past is there's this statistic that for every inch your head goes in front of your center of gravity when you're sitting in a neutral posture and then you start to go out of it it's what they call a text neck or like forward head posture. You may have heard those things. Um, but yeah, for every inch it goes in front of your center of gravity, it adds about 10 pounds. Okay. So it's the same reason why um, if you hold a dumbbell really close to your body, but then you hold it outstretched in mm. the same way, it feels way heavier further away from your center of gravity. Yeah. It's just the joint that's acting on a particular force, the further away that distance is, the harder the joint has to work to maintain that position. Yeah, physics. Physics, exactly. Yeah, so it's called a moment arm. Yeah, yeah. And so doing physics here too, folks. <laughs> the full meal deal. I am. Uh, I am a big noob at physics, but this is one thing. <laughs> just because it applies to the body, that yeah, the fulcrum, I believe. Yeah, it's one of those center, ful- right? fulcrum things. <laughs> yeah, we're the fulcrum. Um, but yeah, it's it adds about ten pounds. Okay. So on average, the human head weighs about ten to twelve pounds in general. So. You know, at the end range of motion, if you're sitting down and still able to get work done, uh, we're probably talking about 40 to 42 pounds total. Okay. So picture a 42-pound dumbbell hanging off your neck. Okay. Right. right. So that's as far forward as your head can realistically get while still being able to get work done. Yeah. Right? Um, so off the cuff, logically, you would probably think that having a 42-pound dumbbell hanging off of your neck... <clears throat> is not the greatest thing in the world. (laughs) I mean, I'd probably find it uncomfortable. Yeah, so it's like, you know, you you pick up a 40-pound... If you had, like, a 42-pound dumbbell, that's a very specific dumbbell that does does not exist. (laughs) But if you were to pick one up and hold it, it would be pretty heavy to even pick up, let alone hang off your neck. Yeah. Um, So, you know, you can see why these, these beliefs have been there. Yeah. And so we see these posts that come from that that are like, you know, maintain neutral posture, keep your head over your neck, and then don't deviate from it because we add more weight, and that more weight is going to stress your neck to the point of pain. So we could talk about how there's a whole host of research papers that uh, pretty much argue against that. They, they have pretty much proven that there's not a strong relationship between posture and pain as much as there is between lack of movement and pain. And that's really what it comes down to is just spending too much time in one posture versus another. Yeah. But, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to jump in then. 
So I'm, I'm curious, Matt, thinking about, I think you were talking about ergonomics, right? That's, is that what that is? Yes. Yeah. When they come in and they assess your desk or whatever. Yeah. Um, so then would you suggest to somebody who thinks that working on their posture is going to improve their health at the, their spine health, I'll call it, mm-hmm. at work, would you, would you suggest instead getting up and moving about in, not in, or instead of? I would say in addition to. In addition to, okay. So I'll, I'll say this too. There's nothing wrong with having an ergonomic assessment and being yeah. put in a really comfortable position because, yeah. you know, humans like comfort. It's a pretty good thing. I wouldn't want to be working it. in a hugely <laughs> stressful position for long periods of time. No. But I guess what we're trying to figure out is, is that position actually stressful? Yes. Having your neck in, or your head in front of your neck. Okay. Right? So that's kind of where we're going. But to answer your question, I would say there's nothing wrong with that. But getting too comfortable in any one position, whether that is head forward or head back, neither are better than the other when it comes to pain. Gotcha. Um, feel free to go through both. I regularly tell people, because this is such a common uh, belief, that if people get neck pain and they feel like they're sitting upright a lot and they just they hear these things like, don't do this because you're going to snap your stuff up, your neck is going to be in yeah. huge pain if you let your head go forward, these people are they feel like they need to sit more upright so then mm. they do it even further and to the point where they look like uh, for anyone well i guess no one can see you because this, <laughs> no. is, a, this is a visual or this is a audio podcast <laughs> but uh when joel was getting into his posture before when i asked him that question he was super upright like over exaggerated like shoulders completely back head completely up almost like he's in a military great, posture great posture right great quote unquote great posture <laughs> And so if people even have a little bit of that upright posture and they feel like they get neck pain, they're told all these things, they need to sit more upright. So then they do it to an extreme degree. And then things don't really pan out that well because it's just going further into that position that's already aggravating. Yeah. I will regularly tell people to slouch. Yeah. Right? And I think I mentioned that before, but it's just, it's not that slouching is better than sitting upright. It's just getting them moving in a different position that is likely not as aggravating. Yeah. Right? If, If you can sit upright without pain and you can slouch without pain both are fine it's just spending too much time in one or the other may not be ideal gotcha. uh, just give yourself more options yeah but yeah, makes sense yeah uh, and and so going back to is that head forward position stressful yeah uh well we mentioned the 40 pounds plus estimated that uh, it would add to you if you let your head go forward yeah and you know there's tons of research out there that that shows a, not a strong association between posture and pain. But if we look at just, if we ignore all that, yeah. and we just look at the mechanics of the neck and what it can realistically handle, on average, the neck can handle several hundred pounds of force before it completely fails. Several hundred? Yeah, anywhere from like 350, 400, up to 900,000 pounds okay. of pressure. So then we return to this 40 pounds <laughs> that we uh, we just figured out the neck can weigh. Man, I'm a lot stronger than I thought. Yes. Uh, and so uh, the real cool thing is because I was looking up a uh, this example of posture, um, I wanted to give like a concrete example. So it's one thing for me to say that. Sure. It's another thing for people to actually visualize it. So, I looked up the world record for the heaviest neck hold in history. Okay. Uh, I feel like I've seen that somewhere in, like, the Guinness. You know how you used to be able to get the Guinness World at the library in school, and that's what we would do? We would just get it. Yeah. Yeah, we found a book to read, and it was the Guinness World Record. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, those are the ones that were always booked out of the library at school, because everybody (laughs) just wanted those. Um, But, so, so the heaviest neck hold in history was actually set, I guess not super recently, but 2013. Okay. Uh, it was a guy, his first name is Eric, I forget his last name, I think it starts with an O, but anyone can look it up, like world record, okay. uh, like neck hold, we'll call it. Um, the record that he set is 1,000 pounds. Wow. Yeah, so the way it looks, if uh, if someone wants to look it up, that's perfect, I'll just kind of describe it briefly. Sure. So he has a harness strapped to the top of his head with what looks like straps or like pickup truck straps hanging off the side of that strap onto each side of a barbell that's loaded up with a thousand pounds Wow! and he basically stands up with his neck super erect and a thousand pounds leaves the floor how do you figure that out without (laughs) (laughs) it's uh there's some uh it was a thousand to one would have ended much differently (laughs) Uh, i doubt it 
because yeah. the other thing that those uh, so I mentioned that like tensile strength of the neck like several hundred up to like 900 to a thousand something like that sure but that doesn't take into account the fact that humans are adaptable because a lot of these pressure or these pressure tests are done on cadaver yeah uh, or like uh, like cadaver spines yeah right but if you take into account that humans are robust and adaptable mm. you can likely get stronger than that mm. so we're talking that tensile strength several hundred to a thousand at a minimum yeah it can only go up from there yeah and this is why it's important to talk about fear-based uh, like practices and how they can really sell people short or kind of put blind uh, horse blinders on. Yeah. Because at a glance, telling people you know sit upright and you know maintain a neutral spine is fine. It's it's not inherently bad. But when you start telling people to not lean forward, mm-hmm. that's when it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. It would be much better overall for like the global population if people were told. You can sit upright. You can get the ergonomic assessment. You can get into a perfectly comfortable posture, which is something that I would like to do a lot of desk work in. Mm-hmm. But if you feel irritated or if your neck is a little bit bothersome or your back's a bit bothersome, shoulder, whatever, if you're having some pain, feel free to move out of it. Yeah. it it's not any better or worse. It's just at this point in time more comfortable. Mm-hmm. But who's to say that in a couple months if you have neck pain, leaning forward isn't more comfortable? Yeah. In which case... Is the ergonomic assessment for you to keep your neck forward in front of your center of gravity for an extended period? Mm. Maybe. But it's not something that's normally talked about or even discussed like that. Yeah. If you went on uh, on YouTube and you typed in, or even just Google and typed in, what is the perfect posture, I guarantee you, you would see uh, some sort of plumb line going down from the ear through the back and then being like, keep all this in, in a straight line. Yeah. And then that's it. Yeah. Without any nuance or context and what the human body is actually capable of or is even comfortable with. Yeah. There are also conditions that we'll probably talk about in our series, The Quick Look, Mm. that um, discusses certain conditions where sitting upright may actually be very painful for people and leaning forward is actually preferred. Would scoliosis be one of them? Oh, you are on the right track, buddy. But we'll we'll keep that in the back (laughs) pocket for now. But um, that's my uh, kind of... Uh, thoughts on fear-based practices and how they can sell people short. And again, this isn't like an attack on any particular profession or professional. This is, I'm just hoping to give those people that may be making posts like that an open mind. Mm. It, it's not, and I know people who are trying to help are just trying to help, yeah. but it's important to know when we may be doing harm okay. under the guise of helping. Okay. Can I kick up the controversy, though? Go right ahead. Would you like me to kick up the Go controversy? Go right ahead, man. I was going to toss it over to you now anyway. No, no. I, I'm going to I'm gonna keep it on you for a minute. And I'm, well, actually, we'll have a discussion about it. Sure. Well, and this is a thought I just had in the car driving over. The the thought of, of why. And you, you're kind of talking about, oh, the why is just that's the way that they were probably taught and, and things like that. But... You know who came into my mind? Machiavelli. And so Machiavelli suggested that fear was the greatest tool for keeping power. Right. And so I wonder, Matt, not not consciously or on purpose, if there's some sort of power dynamic that's in our healthcare system that's almost wanting to keep the power rather than empowering clients, patients, whatever, to kind of do their own thing. And, and so that's kind of what, what, what was a philosophical question, obviously. But thinking about, you know, if, if you kind of have this idea that, oh, um, you're broken and, you know, this needs to be fixed and don't do that. Let me tell you how to do it. Or your spine's going to punch out, yeah. you know? I, I wonder if, if, if there's some sort of uh, power dynamic trying to keep the status quo. Or if that's just me being cynical. What, what are your thoughts, Mitch? I don't think you're being cynical at all. Okay. Uh, because it's something I see a lot of. Yeah. And uh, I'm assuming maybe you do too. Mm-hmm. But one of the biggest things that I preach in my practice is ask questions. Yeah. always ask questions if you are not sure of what we're doing or if you even disagree with what we're doing yeah. we can always change things up but I want the person in front of me to be comfortable with what we're doing and I want them to be on board with it yeah. but the, it seems to be more common than not 
if I tell people that, they'll say, no, you're the professional. I trust you. You do it. Yeah. Right? And so I think that's just a long history of us always having that faulty appeal to authority where we don't even feel like we can ask questions. It's more like a dictatorship once you enter a clinic for mm. any reason. Yeah. Um, because the common thought is, who am I to question uh, this rehab professional, this doctor, this mental health professional, anyone. Yeah. Because you know what? Uh, speaking from the perspective of a client, I'm not trained in it. What would yeah. I know that you don't know? Yeah. Right? And so this is, I think, where we're starting to see a big shift in healthcare from newer professionals compared to older professionals. Because mm-hmm. the old school mentality is the fixer. Yeah. They're someone who is going in or someone's coming to see you and you are going to point out their flaws and fix them. But we know now with, you know, all the updated research that we're seeing, like large, robust research papers coming out about uh, any form of like, medicine or rehab is that, or like mental health, anything. Yeah. I'm not trying to get out of the habit of saying physical and mental health, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But we're seeing all these, uh, these robust papers come out and point out that there's a lot more to the subjective part of treatment than there is to the objective part. Yeah. And... This is now my bias coming in, but I actually believe there's it's more important to have subjective uh, measures in your rehab as opposed to objective measures. Mm-hmm. They can be important, but sure. I believe far less so than we think. Yeah. And to get people on board with that, they need to be comfortable with what we're doing, but they also need to know that only relying on me or someone else to fix you is probably not going to do that. Yeah. And in fact, we need to be telling people that it's likely you don't need to be fixed unless you have some crazy outlier case. Like, let's say you fractured a femur. Yeah, yeah you probably need that fixed. <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what about like a few months after that? Yeah. What happens when the bone is healed, but you still have pain? Yeah. What do we do then? Mm-hmm. Well, then we're starting to see that transition from objective measures being less important and more subjective measures. What do you enjoy doing? How can we get you active? How do you feel about that with your schedule? Like, how do we work around what you want to do? Uh, what are your fam- What are your friends and family is? Uh, what do they think about injuries and pain? Like, could they be setting you back or helping you? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think that it's a. Uh, yeah, I. It's tough, but I I do think we're seeing that shift yeah. in that we're empowering the person, but mm. we still have a lot of. A lot of room to go because I, I saw a post on Instagram the other day that kind of highlighted this. You know, we can't, we aren't treating knees or backs or necks or like tendonitis or disc bulges or anything like that. We're, we're treating people. People. And so when hap- when we're treating people, we have to take into account the entire picture, not hyper focusing on this one area of the body. Yeah. Because we're not cars. Yeah. We're not machines. No. Yeah. No. And 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 you know that's kind of where I maybe expected your answer to go because I, I think that you're right in saying that that's the shift now, giving the people the power. Right? Yeah. People power. Power to the people. Exactly. Rage Against Machine have been saying it for years. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's where my mind was. Um, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, like, and so that's why I asked that. Again, not that, you know, there's, you know, doctors or other professional health professionals sitting back being like oh i'm going to make everybody fear so i can keep this power i have but maybe that's something that's you know maybe some people do. unconscious maybe yeah. some people do right yeah. where you work really hard to get through school you you know became an expert in your field and and i think there's something to be said for somebody who's an expert in their field of course yeah um they have a certain amount of knowledge mm-hmm. but you know, when you start, when that power starts getting questioned, yeah. you know, well, is that an area of expertise for you? Uh, well, that's the thing. How do we constitute an expert in the field at this point? Exactly. With so much information at our fingertips and so many other people we can go to. Yeah. How do we choose the appropriate care? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of where I was going with that. And so the, talking about, I guess, the power to the people that'll, I'll, I'll take over now, Matt, and, and lead into kind of what I was talking to, um, talking to you about outside the podcast, which was, uh, well, you know, it's funny because I was telling you that I wasn't really sure which direction I was going to go in. 
And I think I've landed on the stigma piece. Okay. And the fear connected to stigma. Mm-hmm. And so, like I was telling you, thinking about how divisive um, a world we live in now. And you made the point that somebody had told you, you know, self-care versus community care. You know, if, if you kind of, you know tell somebody just to do self-care just to do self-care then they're missing out on that community care mm-hmm. um, which i think who, who the whoever it was said it would be a failing of yeah yeah and so I, I think that that's right you know i've talked about self-care on this podcast myself and to a degree i think that it's important to kind of give yourself that space but then the flip side of it is embracing other people embracing the fact that you are another person in a community of people right and so you're not alone that kind of mentality i guess and the fear that comes with that right and and so thinking about you know the the stigma that i'll tie in the stigma it's really saddening for me to see the stigma that still exists specifically around mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I appreciate that you're trying to phase out the, the physical and mental health, but yeah. this would be one of those barriers kind of stopping us from doing that. Right. Is that, you know, I was thinking, I, I was, I had a client the other day and they, you know, they were off work, so they needed a letter just to let somebody know that they were there. Right. Yeah, I've had that too. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, me, I, I just typed up something quick for them and without really thinking about it, I had put down, you know, that they had seen me for counseling. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, cause like I'm, I'm in the field, I, I don't really, you know, Fear admitting that I've been to counseling myself. Like yep. I'd tell anybody. So but, have I, so have I. But that's exactly. But that's that's a bias I have. Right. Right. And so they were like, "Oh, hey, like, can you change that? You know, I, you know, it's unfortunate, but uh, the stigma is still there, and I don't want them to know that. Mm-hmm. Right. And and of course, I had no issue with that. It was, yeah, certainly I understand. But then sitting back and reflecting on it after, I was like, you know, if you went to the doctor. Right? You'd be like, oh, hey, like I was at the doctor. Mm-hmm. Right? But to say that you were to see a counselor. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so then there's there's this fear that you're going to be judged, that you're going to be looked on as, as lesser because you had to go to a mental health professional to discuss your mental health. Yeah. Right? And so I kind of brought up last week with you, Matt, just when we were chatting, you know, what, what are we doing as, as professionals to kind of help with that, right? And at, at first I was, I was like, you know, we should be doing more, like, rah, like we should get out in the, the fields and, and fight for it. But when I sat back and reflected on it and thought about the people that I work with and colleagues and and you know, even even just thinking about what I've learned um, in my readings and from, you know, videos and, and everything else that I've accumulated, I had a real hard time kind of putting my finger, like the same way that you put your finger on the, the fear-based, like that video of somebody punching through, yeah. like there was something like there you could, but I had a real hard time saying, you know, what are we not doing? Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, well where does that stigma start? Where does that come from? And so I, I wonder, you know, if there's a lack of responsibility on, on leaders and public figures then in that relation. It's almost assumed that, you know, Justin Trudeau goes to the doctor. Right. Right? It's That's almost like if he came on the TV and was like, Hey, like I saw the doctor the other day. Like, the like Canadians would be like, "All right, good for you, Justin. Hope you're all right, or yeah, or not, depending yeah. on your political views." But uh, like, if he came on and was like, "Oh, I, I went to see a psychiatrist," yeah, right, it wouldn't have the same. No, it wouldn't have the same carry. Exactly. 
right? They're like, oh, geez, what's wrong with Justin? Mm-hmm. He must be losing it, right? right? Yeah. You think about the speculation that comes with that, mm-hmm. right? And so I wonder, is it on them then to kind of step up and, and begin that destigmatizing? Destigmatizing? Is that a word? I think so. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> destigmatizing. <laughs> mental health and again you know i have to say mental health i have to state it that way because there is that gap yeah right and so i i was like you know i want to do my part and i want to kind of put it out there that you know for all you know the handful of viewers and listeners that we have that you know i've i've seen a mental health professional you know i've seen a few actually yeah. And, and worked on my own stuff. The same way that I would stop in and see a doctor. Yeah. Right? If something's ailing me and I need some help, then I go and see a professional. Right? Yeah. You know, whether it's a mental health or... Or even just like if you need some woodworking done around your house, call a carpenter. <laughs> like, there are professionals for a reason. Like, yeah. They, they are trained to do a task. And yeah. it's, uh, it's unfortunate that... Uh, mental health again that's the the gap there that's the barrier but it's unfortunate that that stigma still exists yeah. and going back to that example of writing the note and saying like uh saw a counselor yeah. um not only would it likely not be a problem for someone to say i went to a doctor but on that same uh type of note it would probably say not only the professional you saw but what you exactly you went there for and yeah. so like a super detailed report compared to uh, I went to go see someone. Yeah. In the yeah. healthcare. Field. Yeah. Just super ambiguous. They saw me. That that's all. Yeah. 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 And 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 Matt, again, you know, I don't know the answer, but mm-hmm. I at least encourage everyone to be a bit more open about it. You know, mental health shouldn't be a dirty word, right? And right. so I was going to tie into uh, the stigmas around certain diagnoses diagnoses mm-hmm. right thinking of like like well i, I brought up bipolar disorder uh, yeah was not that last, last episode? episode no I episode was, before i think so yeah yeah and schizophrenia is another one and the the fear that's connected to that mm-hmm. as well right you know even using it as something like if if somebody you know has an anger outbreak and starts you know I don't know, punching things or whatever. Somebody might be looking at it and be like, well, geez, he's schizo, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, he's bipolar or yeah. something like that, right? Because you have a, a fear of whatever reaction they're having, and that's how you're perceiving it. You're putting that label on it. Yeah. Right? Where does that come from? Yeah. Right? And actually, you know what? I had a question about this uh, for you. Sure. So in your experience for when people are trying to... Uh, Trying to figure out the best way. I'm trying to resolve something. Yeah. Um, more often than not, and this is going to be uh, painting with a broad brush, so feel sure. free to add a lot of nuance to this because sure. I definitely am not with this question. <laughs> okay. But um, when people are trying to resolve something in their life and they go see you about it, yeah. is the first thing you recommend fighting it or is it accepting it and coming to terms with it mm. and then working on it? Yeah. And... And I like how you worded that, and I think you worded it correctly. No, acceptance is a big piece of okay. therapy. And I, again, I, I, I see where you're going with that and, and tying in the fear of, of kind of accepting that there's something wrong, right? Kind of. I was going to go in a really weird direction. Oh, were you going to go in a really, really weird direction? <laughs> but that's a good point. Well, I'll speak to that first yeah. because that's something that I see in my practice all the time is this, you know, fear of accepting that there's something wrong or, mm-hmm. or fear of accepting the, the thoughts that come across your mind. You know, I'm sure you have intrusive thoughts, Matt, just oh, like yeah. I have intrusive thoughts, just like everybody yeah. has. I just showed him out in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. It's good. <laughs> Cathartic. Yeah. I love it. Um, <laughs> but there's a fear of that. And so people try to block it out and they try to stop it and they don't want it. They don't want the stigma attached to it. They don't want all of these things because they fear it. Right. So that's that would be almost step number one is accepting like, hey, it's okay, you're not okay. The, the cliche, right? It's okay yeah. to not be okay. Exactly. And to learn how to accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious what direction you were going with that, though. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, those are all great points and things that I would, I would 
definitely being supportive as well. Just, you know, a letting go and an accepting of where you're at rather than constantly having this battle within you to resolve something that, you know, it's just a part of you right now. Yeah. Right. But the way I was going to go with it is since we're so, we're so on board with accepting things and working with them and figuring out, you know, maybe some reasons why we got to that point. Yeah. This is something that I struggle with, but should we approach professionals that have that responsibility that we talked about in the same way? Because we see on Instagram, like I talked about Instagram, YouTube, any social media, these posts of this fear-based mentality, trying to get people to buy in and make them afraid of themselves. Should we be trying to actively fight against that? Okay. Because that's something that historically I've done and recently I've kind of gone a little bit more nuanced with it where just like this episode where i said you know what sitting upright is fine yeah getting ergonomic assessment in a comfortable position is perfectly okay and these are all recommendations that you see across the board but where i draw the line and again we're going back into fighting is telling people that they shouldn't lean forward yeah when vast amount of evidence shows that they should and that's just one example but the point is i'm it, it almost comes off like I'm fighting professionals when yeah. I say that, rather than saying, you know what, what you guys are saying is okay, yeah. and it, it can be correct for some people, but it's not a universal truth, and it seems like it's coming off like that. Yeah. So, and that's something that I struggle with quite a bit, because when I see a promotion of fear and trying to get people to buy in and make them afraid of their bodies when they already are afraid of it, it it really rubs me the wrong way and I get a little bit heated. Gotta yeah. be honest. <laughs> I, yeah. I get heated about that yeah. because I like seeing people healthy Yeah. and any barriers to that I seem to view as a threat. Yeah. Yeah, well, I get super riled up about stigma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if we're constantly fighting things, historically, has it worked out? Yeah. For any number of professions or... Yeah. changing people's minds like if to change someone's mind would you fight them on something yeah or would they just get more dug in to their beliefs every time you fight them mm. we're getting political now <laughs> well yeah <laughs> because that's this part of it you know yeah. you th- if i can make a comparison to politics you know um you think about if you somebody kind of has voted with a party their entire life you know you go in you'd be like oh your party's wrong and you, you know, fight against them like you yeah. said that almost makes them want to defend it more. Exactly. Right? And so then they kind of focus more on those things that they do like about the party and they, you know, really connect more with that. And yeah. then, right? And so I, I wonder then, you know, is that the same with talking to other professionals? Mm-hmm. You know, if we are kind of fighting and they'd be like, yeah, but let me dig in here and yeah. show you where this came from and why this is the case for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And so what do you think? I'm curious then, because the flip side of that was acceptance. Mm-hmm. So what is acceptance of that? I don't want to call it other side, because even that suggests divisiveness. Size. Yeah, exactly, fight. Yeah. right? But that, that other way of looking at things, that fear-based practice, do, do you accept that then? Or what do you do with that? I think... Part of it is realizing that none of us are perfect yeah. and making suggestions to people that are highly constraintive doesn't really pan out with humans yeah. because we're so variable and we learn and we grow and we're robust. We have a lot of reasoning skills. We can take a lot of this information and really disseminate it to the point of a hugely reductionist stance of, you know what, there's probably some good advice, but none of it's concrete. Yeah. And I know that's very, well, like I said, it, it's, really likes that. Yeah, no, it's not a sexy answer and it's highly reductionist, but I think it kind of gets to the point of all this is if you're told something and it absolutely has to be that way, yeah. it's probably wrong. Yeah. And uh, not saying there isn't elements of truth to it, but it's not the big picture. Yeah. So the practical way of getting to know whether that's appropriate or not is asking questions and getting a second opinion. Yeah. Uh, ask the questions to the person you were who told that to you, whatever it may be, yeah. and then asking someone else. You know, maybe you see contradictory informa- uh, contradictory information on social media. Reach out to that account that posted it. Yeah. Just literally shoot them a DM and be like, hey, 
I was told this, what do you think about that? And then maybe you can hear a more nuanced opinion or at least some other information. And then you yourself as the patient are now empowered like we talked about. Yeah. You have two pieces of information that on the surface can seem contradictory, yeah. but there's likely some truths that you can suss out from both sides. Yeah, and and it's interesting that you say this. Um, are you familiar with Jordan Peterson? Yeah. Yeah. Um, controversy aside, you know, he's a, he's a psychologist. Psychiatrist? Psychologist, I believe. And um, I think it was Ryan sent me a, a, an interview. Anyway. Um, it was Shout out, Ryan. Like a, yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> not listening. But if you are, Ryan, thanks, bud. Um, and and it's oh, it, was, it was just like a short five-minute clip, and he was talking about um, conversation and ideal conversation. And he actually pulled from... Um, Carl Rogers is a, a famous, uh, I believe he was also a psychologist. Yeah, I'm just trying to think credentials. Like he was a mental health, I, I think he was a psychologist. Right. And he, um, he kind of founded um, what used to be called client-centered, but has been recently been dubbed person-centered therapy. Right. Uh, or Rogerian therapy that focuses on the individual and hearing them. And so you think about like active listening, uh, I use like reflective statements, empathic statements, um, like all of these tools that you would use to somebody that you care about. You know, it's, it's about getting to a level of caring. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that must be really difficult for you. That would almost fall in line with, it would absolutely fall in line with this therapy. And so Jordan Peterson was talking about that and and he was talking about the power of hearing that other side. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you open up and have an open mind and truly engage in that conversation, the way that a therapist would sit down and, and talk to you, you're almost guaranteed to learn something from someone else. Yeah. And, and to have that open mind that this person knows something that you don't. Yeah. Right? Whatever it might be. Yeah. Right? So you can be, you know, a psychotherapist. You can be a massage therapist. You can be a doctor. You can be an astronaut. Right? And and you sit down with just someone else with that understanding that they have some information, some knowledge that I don't know yet. Right. Right? And so that's kind of what you triggered in my mind when you said... Reach out to them, mm-hmm. right? Ask them those questions. Yeah. And what I was going to say was shift that power dynamic. Yeah. Right? Take a little bit more power into your own hands mm-hmm. when it comes to your own health and your own well-being and how you approach your therapy, whatever it looks like. That uh, reminds me of a quote I heard from a, uh, a doctor of physical therapy in the States. Um, I forget exactly who said it, but it, I think it was Mark Cargillo. But anyways, down the states, he sure. he uh, he had this quote on a podcast that he uh, he did recently. It was something to the effect of, "If I sit down for an assessment with a client and I'm talking more than they're talking, I've probably gone off the tracks. Yeah, I'm probably doing something wrong. Yeah, and that's that power dynamic shifting. We're trying to give people more power. Yeah, far more power than they've ever had. Yeah, and uh, to your point of talking with somebody um, who's on maybe of a different mindset than you. I'm trying not to say on the other side. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But somebody who has a slightly different perspective than you, um, one of the things that we can start to, you know, incorporate into that is that acceptance. Like, accept the fact that this conversation you're about to have is probably going to test you and yeah. it's probably going to be very uncomfortable. Yeah. And you're going to hear things that you might not even agree with uh, very strongly, but just hearing that, and then offering your perspective. And if both sides have an open mind, it's likely you can come to some sort of uh, middle ground and some yeah. sort of uh, m- maybe a, a new conclusion that neither of you have thought of before. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And collaboration, mm. community ties in what we were talking about before, right? Embracing that togetherness, mm-hmm. right? If, if we try to set out on our own and conquer Mount Everest... Uh, certainly we're going to come across our own shortcomings and there are a lot of bodies on probably die. <laughs> <laughs> but 
if you bring a team with you that have a mixed knowledge base, that have a mixed upbringing or, you know, culture or, or whatever else they can bring to the table to kind of help you reach that summit. With an open mind. With an open mind, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, because, of, you know, you don't want infighting. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. You want that open-mindedness where I have an opinion on this, but what do you think? Oh, you know a bit more than me? Okay, all right. Well, how about you tackle this problem then? Yeah. Right? And then I'll learn from that. It's like Liam Neeson. He has a particular set of skills. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there are also but other people who have particular sets of skills. There, there is, yeah. So you could have one Liam Neeson, but if you had a team of Liam Neesons, then... Or a Liam Neeson and a John Wick. Ooh, okay. Wow. <laughs> I like it, yeah. Um, can we throw Jackie Chan in there, too? Man, why not? Shout out Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan. Oh, man. I don't know why he was on my mind. Anyhow, maybe because you said the, the kapow thing, and I feel like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got to throw in some sort of martial art. Yeah, martial arts. <laughs> yeah, it was on my mind. Um, anyway, yeah. So, uh, I, I think we've landed in a, a pretty interesting... Uh, placement where we started even thinking about you know how this started it was kind of like down with (laughs) fear-based fear-based but i think that just shows like how much an open mind like critically thinking about things has an effect like even in the course of this podcast like we started off saying like well let's talk about some fear-based things and where they could be going wrong and now it's like well it probably comes from a place of compassion yeah and so learning why they're saying that and trying to, uh, I hate like sounding like I'm talking down to people, but it's like trying to teach them to keep an open mind. Yeah. And but also for ourselves, like we need to also keep an open mind yeah. because if we hear something we disagree with, we're probably gonna pull back. Let's be honest. Well, I mean, man, one of the best ways to teach is to lead. Is it? Did I just make that up? Maybe. Maybe. Lead by example. Lead by example. Yeah. There you go. That's what I was going for. Yeah. Yeah. Because. You know, you think about the power of seeing somebody who is is an expert in their field and how they present themselves. Mm-hmm. And if they're open-minded and they're kind of connecting on that person-centered theory type of, you know, therapy. Yeah. Um, because it, that's what you work from. You work from a person-centered... Try to, yeah. Yeah, right? Where you, you, you know, ask them what's going on, their experience, stuff yeah. like that. You empathize, I'm sure. That, that Of course that's person-centered, right? So it's to. even interesting to think about how that traverses into um, physical health. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm sticking physical on the front of it. All right, we're putting up hard barriers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> joking, joking. Nobody do that. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that was, uh, that was a pretty good discussion, man. And, you know, the practical thing, like we kind of echoed before, is ask questions. Yeah. feel like you, you, you always have more power than you think in a healthcare dynamic. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Wicked. Absolutely. Power to the people. Power to the people. All right. Later, guys. Bye.